article in uh, July 2001 edition of Time Magazine titled, When God Hides His Face, subtitle, A Modern Day Christian Couple Relives the Questions of Job. And the article begins with the writer actually quoting from scripture, Job, the first three verses, uh, this statement. In the land of us, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke uh, yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And then he writes, the author, in a subdivision in Nashville, Tennessee, lived David and Nancy Guthrie. They owned no sheep or camels, at least not at the time he wrote this. Just a dog, Pepper. A dog, yes. Yes. Which I would take any day over a bunch of (laughs) sheep or camels. But they, they have a late model infinity and a widescreen Sony TV, and you upgraded the TV. We did recently. You know these guys. Yeah. They, it always well, needs to get bigger. Absolutely. Yes. Football okay. game this afternoon. Yes. All right. They, they would never lay claim to blamelessness, Davis, Dave and Nancy, but they are regarded as upright and God-fearing among their friends who place high value on those traits. Sometimes those friends compare the Guthries to Job. And then he writes, the odds of carrying a recessive gene for a terrible disorder called, and I, I want to make sure we say it the right way. Zellweger. Zellweger mm-hmm. syndrome. Are one in 160. The odds of two carriers meeting and having a child who suffers from the syndrome are about one in 100,000. And Nancy told me yesterday that it's even greater than that. Uh, David and Nancy, already the parents of a healthy son, Matt, Do that one in 100,000 chance when two and a half years ago, and now, of course, this is now way back in... uh, uh, 2001. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nancy gave birth to a severely disabled daughter named Hope, who struggled with life for 199 days. So I read that, and I go, wow. And that... Nancy, that, that is one very gripping introduction to a well-written article. And it's about you and your husband, David, and your three children. Matt, who's now 22 years mm-hmm. old. Hope, who lived for 199 days on earth and who's now experienced the joy of heaven for 14 years. And Gabriel, who lived 183 days on earth and who has shared that joy of heaven with his sister for the last 11 years. I don't know where I said it first service, but I remember when my my mom died quite young um, and at 58, and and I remember counting the number, counting how many years she had been in heaven, just thinking about how long my mom had been in heaven. And, And one of the things I was watching for was when her number of years in, in heaven exceeded the number of years she suffered on earth because she suffered most of her life. And Becky and I have certainly done that with Greg, our son. Um, so you and David have been married for how many years? 26. That's great. You, lived in, uh, you live in Nashville, Tennessee. David publishes kids' musical for churches, mm-hmm. musicals. 
and you're a writer and you're a speaker, and the name of the church you've been a part of for 19 years is... Christ Presbyterian Church. Christ Presbyterian Church. That's a great name, Christ Presbyterian. Uh, you and David do have an amazing story of God's faithfulness, God's grace in your lives, and, and, and how you've lived in that and been faithful to God. And you came here this weekend to share your story with uh, a group of women uh, who were privileged to hear you on Friday evening. And I sat in the back, listened to you, did an awesome job, made me so glad that, uh, that Becky and I decided last year when I was doing sermon planning and Becky knew you were coming, that we would reserve a Sunday morning for you, having the feeling that, you know what, can't say it all in one evening. Mm -hmm. And after, again, hearing you Friday evening, I'm so glad because I want us all to benefit. Here, here's what we're going to do this morning, everybody. I, I'm asking Nancy to, first of all, uh, share her story of, of hope and, and Gabriel. And, and what we're going to be doing is we're not going to be doing a, a, a repeat of Friday night. We're going to go on from there, talk about other things. But we do want everybody to kind of get a, a snapshot of the story. Um, and then, and then I've asked Nancy to, to speak to all of us who right now are going through a very hard time in our life. And that hard time can look, and it has many different looks to it, all right? Whatever your hard time might be. Uh, and, and I would say if you're, if you're here today and you have not had a hard time in your life, I, uh, I'll put on my, my, my real optimism hat and say, well, if you haven't had a hard time yet, your life's not over. Okay, it's, it's, it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So I would say, you know, take notes, uh, listen carefully to prepare yourself for tomorrow. And then I've asked Nancy, so Nancy's going to give top three things, best pieces of advice of what to do if you're going through a hard time and one thing not to do. And, and then she's going to speak to all of us on how, what we can do to help someone else who's going through a hard time. We're going to do the same thing, three best pieces of advice, and then uh, what, not, what not to do. Okay, so first of all, yeah. the story yeah. Uh, yeah, that you can share, that'd be great. Well, our son Matt was eight when our daughter Hope was born, and, um, you know, I had... Uh, wanted a daughter for a long time. Oh. And so when Hope was born, it was really in the sense uh, a sweet dream for me. And mm -hmm. my pregnancy was easy, but then when she was born, she had club feet and a lot of other little things that weren't quite right. And so a geneticist came and examined her and told us that she had this syndrome, Zellweger syndrome, which meant that she was missing a tiny subcellular particle um, that all of us have in all of our cells that's needed for life. It's like the cell's trash man. It rids our cells of long-chain fatty acids. So that geneticist that night told us that because Hope was missing those peroxisomes, that actually a lot of damage had already been done to all of her major organs. Yeah. That statement you made about like her first day is her best day of her life. It was. Yeah, yeah. the doctor had said that in a yeah. way, right? A lot of damage had been done to her liver and her kidneys and her brain. And um, so he gave us a sh couple sheets of paper, Xerox, out of a medical textbook that explained everything that was wrong in her body, huh. uh, including the fact that she likely couldn't see or hear, and everything that would go wrong in her body. Huh. And he explained that there was no treatment and no cure, and that most children with that syndrome live less than six months. Less than six months. And yeah. so... Uh, 
That's not what I went to the hospital expecting. No. Yeah. And it was devastating to us. And, you know, David and I took Hope home, and it wasn't in the way we thought it would be, you know. It was, it was going home, preparing to give her the best life we could while we had her. Hmm. Um, and then to say goodbye to her. And as you said, she was with us for 199 days. Ah. And those were... Uh, rich days in many ways because we knew our life would be short so we were making the most of every day. Hmm. They were sad days a lot because we knew it would be short. Although I found myself oftentimes trying to stave off the sadness because I thought to myself, if I give myself over to the sadness that I feel about losing her, then I could likely miss her whole life yeah. just giving myself to sadness. And I thought, if I do that, I will regret that the rest of my life. And That's so, so profound. we just sought to enjoy her all mm. that we could. Um, but then that day came when in the middle of the night, she left us. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I had thought that maybe I had um, kind of worked through some of the sadness during her life so that maybe it would be easier after she died somehow for me. Mm. And it just didn't seem to work that way. Yeah. And said sadness just set on me like a boulder on my chest yeah. where I was just always trying to catch my breath. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And then, you know, the story doesn't end there. Yeah. It was about um, a year and a half later. Yeah. Um, you know, D David and I, because we were both carriers of the recessive gene trait for mm -hmm. this syndrome, mm -hmm. which had never appeared before in our families, what that means once you have a child with that syndrome, then you know you carry that recessive yeah. gene trait. So that meant that whenever we have a child, the child would have a 25% chance of having the fatal syndrome. Which is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah one, I remember a friend very saying high. to me when we were trying to make a decision about what to do, he said, well, if they tell you the plane you're getting ready to go on, yeah, get on, it has 25. a 25% chance, you think I'm not getting on, right? right? Yeah. Well, um, you know, the truth was facing those odds David and I didn't feel like it would be the worst thing in a, the mm. world to have another child yeah. with this, you know, mainly because wow. hope brought so much joy to our lives. Those 199 days. They yeah. were rich yeah. and meaningful. We enjoyed her. Um, but we also knew our life isn't just us. And mm. there was our parents yeah. who uh, uh, experienced hope's life and death. And it was so difficult for them. And then there was our son, Matt, who had lived in a house as an eight-year-old boy waiting for a sibling to die. Yeah. And then lived in a house a lot longer than that with a mom who was so sad, which very sad. really wasn't very much fun, I'm sure. Yeah. So we Trying decided, to it all out. yeah. So we decided to take surgical steps to mm. prevent another pregnancy. Okay. Now yeah. you know sometimes my husband is up yeah. here with me telling this. Steve. I He's like at home that tonight. Part yeah. Of this story here. Yes. All right. The because he, yes. he yes. one time I said we took surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy, and he leaned in the microphone and he said we we. I like that, you know. I mean, we're always hearing how, how hard pregnancies are and delivery. I mean, we have our time, too, you know. Yeah. So, right. And you want a lot of credit for yes, it, don't we you? Do. Yeah, a lot I know. of credit. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> evidently it didn't work. Yeah. 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 And so, it was a year and a half after Hope died, I discovered I was pregnant. Huh. And, um, you know, we felt a mixture of emotions. There was a part of us that we felt this sense of cautious joy, mm. you know, that I, we had ruled out this possibility of another child. Yeah. And perhaps God had overruled that. Wow. Obviously he had. Yeah. But that perhaps he was going to give us another healthy child to yeah. raise and enjoy sure. that we you so would. wanted but yeah. didn't expect. Yeah. So there was that. But then there was also this deep sense of fear. Yeah. 
Like wow. maybe God is actually going to ask us to do, go through that again. Again. To have another child that we would love and then be forced to let go of. So I went through <laughs> prenatal testing and we discovered that in fact the child I was carrying was a boy this time and that he also had that fatal syndrome. Yeah. So that pregnancy was really different. You know, to go through the nine months knowing that this child was going to have a short, lots of awkward conversations oh, with people. Yes. Um, lots of awkward emotions. I mean, the joy that he would be with us, but also anticipating the reality of what his life would be like. And, you know, we all, you know, we had, we had the memory of knowing that God had been faithful to us and had brought us healing mm. after hope's life and death. Um, but we, you know, it was a memory. I remember when David told Matt, the night he told Matt that we were going to have another child, and he said to him, he said, you remember what it was like with hope. You remember that it was hard. Yeah. 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 But you remember it was also good. Oh, that's really good. And that that. that's, that's the way it was. It was yeah. hard, but it was also good. Also good. That was so wise having that conversation with Matt. Wow, that's like one to put in the file and remember. Yeah, he Don't was hesitate good. to have the conversations with your children that they need to hear from you so they're not wondering, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so much harder if, if you don't talk about things with your kids because then they've, they've got this little file of, well, I wonder why, yeah. you know? And, uh, well, we why? were just straightforward all the, all the way along. You know, it was awkward for some people to just be straightforward about the fact that our children were going to die. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in places of faith, yeah. A lot of times we perceive that what faith looks like is being quite sure there's going to be a miracle and they won't die. Yeah. Yeah. Our confidence was not in that there would be a miracle that they wouldn't die. Our confidence was oh. that we were in God's hands yeah. whether, and that our children were in God's hands whether or not they're here mm. or with, with him That's... and that we could trust him with that. Yeah. And honestly, to be able to have that kind of trust in him, that in itself is a miracle yeah. to be able to totally. trust him. Totally, which is a perfect lead into um, the th three things that you would say, you do say, top three things to do if you're mm -hmm. faced with a hard time in your life mm -hmm. right now or in the future. Uh, so let's look at those three things yeah. and then the one thing not to do. Well, you yeah. know, the thing is about wisdom, I, I don't want to just give you advice from my experience. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. Thank people's you. advice yep. from their experience, yep. it's limited, right? Yep. Yep. And so one thing I think I learned in this process yep. was how dependent I was on the script scriptures yep. because there's lots of emotional voices that yep. tell us things, yes. right? Yeah. And there's voices out in our culture, voices around us that tell us all these things. And I figured out pretty quickly that I needed a solid source of truth yeah. to yep. depend on to speak into my life, and I found that in the scriptures. Yep. And I'm so grateful for that. So I've just picked three scriptures that were very significant to me in the loss that I experienced, and I hope they will be significant for you. And one comes at the very end of Genesis. It's that story. Uh, you remember the story of Joseph, the end of Genesis. Um, and Joseph's been treated very cruelly by his brothers. They right. have done evil toward him. Yeah. They yeah. threw him in a pit, and then they sold him off as a slave. And sure enough, year, years later, they're surprised when they go to Egypt in the midst of the famine that it's actually this brother yeah that they had been so cruel toward who's standing before them has all this power before him. So Joseph has every right to be angry toward them. Right. And yet, what is it that Joseph says to him? Now, if you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, yeah, you, should. you better mark it down, all yeah. right? Yeah. To write it over your life, through your life, the words that Joseph said to his brothers. Here's what he said. He looked him in the eyes and he said,
You intended to harm me. Right. You meant evil against me. All right? So he's not letting them off the hook that somehow they aren't responsible for something. But he sees a greater power at work in his life. So he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good. Yeah. Powerful statement. And I mean... You know, so I looked at that in my life, and, you know, I was experiencing the suffering that is part of this world that hurts, and yet we can look over those things and see a bigger purpose, a more powerful hand at work, that he, if we belong to him, we can be confident that he intends to use Whatever has come into our life, though it may be evil, though it may cause harm, though it may not be good, we can be confident that God intends to use it for good. So whatever it is in your life that you think is actually taking you somehow off the pathway of what God intended for your life, whether it was something someone did to you or some bad choice, some sin you have committed, know that God intends to use it for good. So would you write across your life, you intended it for evil, God intended it for good. So and there's one thing from Yes, the and that's, so, you know, what Nancy's really saying is this whole thing of trusting not only in the sovereignty of God over our lives, but trusting in who God is, and yes. that God is good, and God himself is not evil, and so God in his sovereignty and his power, can take the very hard things in our life and bring so much good out of them. It's just like God being God. That means in, everything. In us, it means everything. So yeah. that's, that's the first one is, yeah. you know, trusting in the sovereignty of yeah. God. Okay, number two. So trust in his sovereignty. Next I would say trust in his sufficiency. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. In 2 yes. Corinthians 12, uh, Paul writes about, remember this, how he had a thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it was, but we do know that it says that he begged three times for the Lord to take it away. Yeah. But instead of offering healing, God just offered Paul more of himself in the midst of this pain that he wasn't going to heal. Huh. And these words he says to Paul have come to mean a lot to me, Steve. I think they didn't mean much to me, honestly, before they... Um, they sounded like maybe God was just patting Paul on the head, and now yeah. I don't see it that way. What, he, yeah. what God says to him when he prays, prays, begs, pleads for the thorn to be taken away, God says to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Hmm. So what he's saying there, he's saying the grace that I'm going to provide to you in the midst of pain that I don't take away from you will be enough. It will be enough to generate joy in the midst of sorrow. It will be enough to have peace in the midst of chaotic circumstances. It will be enough to enable you to love the person, forgive the person who has hurt you, it will, it will be enough to enable you not just to survive, but to actually thrive, to discover him in the midst of the way you never have before. So this is an enormous promise. This is not the pat you on the head. My grace is enough. And in fact, you know, sometimes, Steve, we see the empty places in our lives as our greatest 
a problem. You know, I think God looks at the empty places in our lives. He sees them as his greatest opportunity. He says, here's an opportunity for me to fill up an empty place in your life with myself. And that's the promise here. Yeah. Boy, it is. (laughs) Uh, You know, and and if I can add, uh, and Nancy's emphasized this several times, there Friday evening and again this morning, is that the, us experiencing the sufficiency of Christ's grace doesn't happen by accident. Yes. It's, the only way we're going to experience it is if, we're, you know, if we have this time with Christ every day in his word. I mean, it's, it's got to be a, it just has to be a, a disciplined daily part of our lives for, for, that, for us to really be able to experience that grace in, in, a, in a real way. And I mean, I just look back on my mom and dad and my mom being uh, so physically disabled her whole life and, and dying at such a young age. And I, I know, for my, I, can, I can see my mom when she would sit in her wheelchair and read her Bible and she could hardly hold on to it. She'd just get it rested on her legs. And I can see my dad at the dining room table at the end of a day of hard farming. And I can still remember how he held his hands because mm-hmm. he was so tired just reading the Bible. Wow. And, and, and all of us as kids saw that day after day after day. And that- What a great that, testimony. Yes, it just, and, but that's, we knew that's, that was their basis for it experiencing God's grace. Number three, I love number three too. Well, this comes at the very end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which we sometimes avoid because we think it's all about all that weird end time stuff. It really isn't. It's really, uh, the first verse says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. And it shows us who Jesus is, where he is, what he's doing even now. And this picture that comes at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21, we need to hear this, especially in hard times. And John got to see it in this vision, and he allows us to see it in a sense through his words, where he writes in Revelation 21, 5, and he who was seated on the throne, first of all, let's just stop there, he's seated on the throne. You know, sometimes we're going through hard things. We want to go, God, where are you? Mm. (laughs) I mean, have you lost control of things? Because certainly it was not your plan to allow this into my life, Mm. right? But here he is. He's seated on the throne of the universe, upholding, sustaining all things with his hand. Yeah. That's where he is. Okay. Powerful. He is yeah. seated on the throne. Here's what he says. Mm-hmm. Behold, I am making all things new. Yeah. Uh, so much of the suffering that you and I experience in our lives, we're always asking that question, why? You know, where did this come from? And You know, really, that's the story of the Bible, that um, in the beginning, the world was beautiful and pure, and there was no suffering, no sorrow, and then sin entered into the world with Adam and Eve. So sin came in, and everything that was beautiful became broken. Right. Sin, it's almost like it infiltrated everything. It infiltrated the weather patterns, all of creation. It infiltrated us as people so that we're marked by sin. It infiltrated our very genetic code so that children are born with metabolic right. disorders, right? Exactly. So sin yep. infiltrated everything. And there's a part of us we go, when is this going to end? Why is the world like this? What is God doing? Hmm. And here's the answer. Yeah. He is in the process of bringing about his plan to make all things new. new. And so 
We are in this middle of this time, in between the time when he died on the cross and was resurrected to life. There he accomplished everything necessary to bring about this newness. And we're now in this in-between time between when he accomplished everything to, uh, possible to make it happen and when he returns again to make that the fullness that we live in forever. Yeah. Yeah. But we can count on it in this in-between time. He is at work to bring this about. And the day is coming hmm. when all things will be new. All of that brokenness will be healed. And all of the tears we have shed, I love this also in Revelation 21 because it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is not an impersonal end to the suffering and sorrow that we've experienced. He will wipe it away. He's not not far off in heaven, up on the throne, uncaring. He knows he's going to wipe away the tears and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. All of this world, living in a world where we experience so much pain and hurt, that's going to be a thing in the past. This will be gone forever and we're going to begin this new life with him in the new heavens, in the new earth where he lives with us and we experience his presence like never before. That is the hope that is held out to us to take hold of by faith. You know, I think sometimes when we talk about this, Steve, it sounds like just kind of religious gobbledygook that's out there. Yeah. Like live in denial of this world and right, people. Right, like a know, crutch or yeah. not bad anyway. But, but I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's, a, it's the most solid truth in the universe. Yeah. And here it is for us presented in Scripture for us to take hold of by faith and live in light of it, believing that it's the most solidly dependable truth in the universe. Yeah. Wow. You know, I, I was... I was um, exercising a lifetime and had the TV on and, you know, the, you know they have the TVs on, they have plugged in. Anyway, Chris Wallace last Sunday night was interviewing a guy, or Sunday night before maybe it was, and uh, it was an author. He'd just written a biography on uh, Lyndon Johnson. And Chris Wallace asked him, he said, is it true what I've heard that anything you write, you, you always write the last sentence first? And he said, yes, actually it is true. He said, I always have to have something that I'm writing toward. <laughs> and I, boy, I didn't have a piece of paper or a pen. So I, I found the first person I could to, to write that down because I didn't want to miss that, that mm-hmm. statement because that's it. I mean, that's what we're talking about here is, is we, we have something we're living toward. And as we live toward that, it totally affects our perspective on everything here. Uh, so trusting in the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, trusting in the truth that the grace of God is sufficient, and third, trusting in the promise that God gives us, the promise of eternal life. I can't, you know, Beck and I have said so many times, you know, because we've lost family members, and, you know, I lost my mom before Greg died, and, but I can tell you what, I mean, our desire for heaven that first day to see Greg again, you know, it's just like, wow. Yeah, just Do you ever have to experience, sometimes that just sounds kind of like nice things. And every once in a while, it's like I get a sense it's really true. Oh, it's, yeah. Do you have that sometimes? Little. Yeah. Really true. And, you know, yeah. the best moments are when I realize that as wonderful as it is to be going to be to see Greg and to see Hope and Gabe again, what's going to be even better than that is standing with Greg 
and Hope and Becky and Matt and David. And we're going to look at Christ together. Uh, You know, we'll look at each other, but then we'll turn together to look at this one who is so beautiful on the throne of the universe. Uh, That's going to be the joy of heaven. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also, you know, I'll just say it this way. I'm so glad God's patient with me yeah. because I, I'm, I'm, I've got I've to say I'm going to sneak a glance at, at Greg first. You okay? know what? He's okay um, with that. You know, He's okay with I, that. That's, I mean, yeah. I think that's actually, you know, we, 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 it's one of the gifts, if I can be so bold to say it, in losing someone we love, is that it just turns our heart towards heaven oh, a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I think more. I think God gives us the grace to understand that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, one thing, not, and that was, love this, Nancy. Nancy, I just love listening to you. One thing not to do. I love, oh, yeah, yes. not to do. Well, you know, a lot of us, we have, some of us struggle with anger and disappointment. We've got questions. And what I saw a lot of times to see people do is they just decide, you know what, if God has allowed this in my life, he's not good. I, re- I go to the Bible, and it seems I can't make sense of it. And so they run away from oh, God, God in the midst of their sorrow and questions. So don't run away yeah. from God in the yeah. midst of your sorrow and anger and questions. Run toward him. Yeah. He will meet you. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your questions to God's word. Yeah. You might have to struggle through. You might need to come and talk to Steve or someone else on the staff to help you figure out some things, but persevere in uh, discovering him in the midst of it. Yeah, and I, I really like the way you said this, is he said, run toward God with, with your, your questions, questions and your yeah. anger. It's not like run toward God, but leave all that behind. No. It's bring all of that with you. I, I, I can't believe the timing sometimes how, you know, I planned this series in Abraham way last summer that I was going to, what I was going to preach on each Sunday, not having any idea of the timing of how God works things out. Because next Sunday, the sermon that we're going to be looking at is from the 15th chapter of, of Genesis. And it's all about uh, Abraham's, uh, his doubt and his fear. He was afraid. And we're going to come back to this very subject and talking about it. So now, how to help, you know, what we can do to help somebody else going through a hard time. We see somebody going through something hard, and we want to do the right thing, right? And so often we don't know how to say the right yeah. thing or do yeah. the right thing. You know, I know in my life, in my church, sometimes I have seen somebody going through something hard, maybe a divorce, you know, maybe a, a health issue, maybe a death. And sometimes I think to myself, well, they've got plenty of people around them that know them better, so they don't really need to hear anything from me. Or I think I don't have anything brilliant to say, and so I'll just, and sometimes I just feel awkward. Well, here's one thing to do. Overcome the awkwardness to engage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, don't worry about being awkward. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? They will be so grateful. And you don't have to have something wonderful to say. In fact, sometimes I think the best thing to say to someone who's going through something difficult is... I don't know what to say. Yeah. I mean, that, that feels, um, maybe that thing you think, well, that's so lame. But you know what? It's very humble. What it says is, I recognize you're going through something that I don't pretend to have words that offer some kind of easy fix. Yeah. But I care enough about you that I want you to know I know and my heart is with you. Yeah. Right? So even if all you can say is, um, I don't know what to say, that's good yeah. enough. Or just to go up to them, put your hand on their yeah. shoulder and say, 
Yeah. I know it's a hard time. Yeah. And I just want you to know yeah. that I'm thinking about yeah. you and praying for you. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be something. But overcome the awkwardness to engage. Don't go the other direction. Don't assume that, oh, everybody else is saying something to them or I don't know them very well. I don't need to say something. I mean, was it your experience that I was pretty much aware of everyone who had said something to me about uh, hope or gave it, and everyone who hadn't was pray. it like that for you with oh, yeah. you lost greg oh yeah now let me tell you <laughs> yeah. yeah you just you know don't you you just know you know and it's like uh, a hurdle that has to come down between every person right? yeah absolutely yeah. yeah very good how about number two well, uh, we talked on Friday night. How many of you were here on Friday night, ladies? Nice. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, look at those who have their, hold up their hands because they can help you with this a little more if you want to know more. We talked on Friday night about how, as Christians, we tend to, when somebody's going through something hard and difficult, we kick in and we want to pray for them. And pretty much the only thing we know how to pray for them is to pray that that suffering, whatever it is, will go away. Yeah. And yet we know that the Bible presents to us all kinds of purposes for which God intends to use suffering and difficulty in our lives for good. Hmm. And so if he intends to use it for good, and he has told us some of the ways he intends to use it for good, why wouldn't we want to pray and ask him to do those good things? Hmm in our lives and in the lives of those that we care about, rather than only praying that he would take the suffering away. Yeah. So my second thing is to hmm. be willing to be that godly friend, that safe friend hmm. who comes alongside someone and says, let's pray about this together. And let's pray about it with our Bibles open. We yeah. see here that here's a way that God intends to hmm. use suffering for good. Let's pray and let's ask him to do that. Yeah. Now let's ask him to take it away. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But let's not limit our prayers to yeah. that. Not and let's say, God, if you don't take it away, then would you glorify yourself in it? Would you use this to draw my friend uh, closer to you, to make him more spiritually mature in the process, more dependent upon you in the process. Boy, so right. And, and uh, Nancy, one of the things I wrote down from the other evening uh, when you spoke on prayer, because you gave, she, Nancy drew a contrast between uh, five different kinds of prayer. And one of them was insistent prayer versus submissive prayer. Yeah. Insistent versus submissive. And and, you know, sometimes we think we know better than God, and we can get to the point of insisting with God, this is how it should be, you know. And, and Nancy put this perspective on, she said, this, this is the God who spoke creation into being that we're talking with in prayer. And not only can he do whatever he wills to do, so God, I mean, God, I, when I pray for somebody to be healed, I just keep it very simple. I don't feel like I need to add my reasons or certain words or just simply if I know if God has the power, if God's going to heal, God will heal. God doesn't need depend on how well I say it in my prayer. But even more important than that is God will do what's absolutely best for us. Um, you know, Steve, and, and you know, I think we have to decide, do I really believe that? Yeah. Oh, right? Yeah, you do. Do I it's really believe where you get the, yeah. that if I say to the Lord, just like Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want your will to be done, not mine. So he's our example in this. Okay? Yeah. I want your will to be done, not mine. Yeah. Do I really believe that God is good, hmm. that he's powerful enough, that I could really trust him with that? Yeah. That if he does his will, 
that it will be what is best for me and best for my children yeah. and best for my family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, coming to, we, gotta ha- we have to answer that question first. Do I believe God is good, that he will do right by me? Huh. And that enables us to pray then, you know what, Lord, I don't presume to be so smart that I know what the best Boy. thing is to do in this yeah. situation. Yeah. So I'm not going to try to manipulate you to get what I want from you. Instead, yeah. I'm going to say, God, have your will. Yeah. Do have your way. And I'm going to trust you with that and believe that you're going to use it for good in my life. And those aren't just religious sounding words. I mean, you're speaking, speaking real stuff there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think um, I, you've heard me talk about a prayer a book that's my absolute favorite book on prayer. And it has a long title. It's, the title of the book is A Call to Spiritual <coughs> excuse me, Reformation. A Call to Spiritual Reformation. It's written by a theologian by the name of uh, D.A. Carson. And in my opinion, it's the best book I've read on prayer. And I've read a lot of books on prayer. I want prayer. that book. Huh? I want that book. Oh, it's a great book. Okay. And, and we'll make sure. And, okay. and, and anyway, one of the things he, he says in that book, and it's all based on Paul's prayers. Okay? It goes through each one of Paul's prayers wow. as guidelines for how to pray. And one of the comments he made in that book that just gripped me, and I know it's gripped other men in, in our church, is what do we pray for our children? You know, you know, go back and kind of evaluate your what, what have you been praying? Have you been praying, you know, just certain things like, you know, uh, good grades, good health, good Help travel, make the basketball team. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things that, you know, win the game or what, whatever. But are you praying the deep things? You know, the things that really matter in the lives of your children. Uh, so, again, yeah, great. Awesome. OK, so uh, where are we? Uh, I think we said three things to do. Deliverance and prayer. Number three. What was number three? Yeah. Uh, Uh, The third thing. Yeah. Third thing and how to help. Specifically, especially when you're speaking to someone who has lost someone they love to death, (laughs) lost husband, wife, child, whatever. You know, sometimes we'll see someone who has gone through a loss and maybe they have a smile on their face, they're having a good day, and we think, I don't want to bring it up because it seems like she's doing good, having a good day, and I don't want to make that person sad, right? Mm. Well, I want to tell you that one of the best things you can do for someone who has lost someone is to say the name of the person who has died to them and let that person know that you're still thinking about him or her, Mm. that you still miss him or her. Don't be afraid you're going to make that person sad because I promise you they're already thinking about him, okay? And if that person then shed tears and you think, oh, no, I've blown it. I made her sad. She was having no That's not the case at all. See, what you did was she was already sad, and you gave that person the opportunity to release some of that sadness through tears. Has that been your experience? Like, what does it mean to you when someone in this congregation says Greg's name to you? I can remember the tone of their voice, how they pronounced his name. I kid you not. I mean, I I can look out in the audience right here and I can hear conversations I've had with different ones of you, how you've said Greg's name. I mean, I can remember when you've said his name. Oh, if they remember uh, something specific about him, doesn't that bless you? Oh, just, yeah. And I told this story for a service how Greg, because of what he did uh, in Minneapolis, he always, always working with property and 
putting together deals and selling and brokering and all. So there were signs that had his name and his partner's name all over downtown Minneapolis. And man, as a dad, you know, I just love walking by those signs and Greg would take me to them. And in fact, the joke was at his funeral that his, one of his good buddies said that when Greg was on a date with a woman he really wanted to impress, he would slowly drive by the sign, you know, make sure she saw. But you know what happened after Greg died? They started taking the signs down until there weren't any more signs. And everything in me just wanted to, can't you just keep one sign up, you know? And because and, that the name is so important, so right on. Okay, now. You, you have not just one don't, you have several Yeah, don'ts. I have don't, okay. okay. Uh, don't, well, I think the way our minds work, you know, when we hear about somebody who's going through something hard, when we go to interact with that person, one thing we tend to do is we tend to tell them a story about somebody else who had that same illness, went through that same experience or whatever. And I'm just telling you as somebody from the, on the other side of that, it's probably not helpful. No, All right. Not a good you know, idea. Not a good idea. No. Usually, especially, you know, like when it ends, sometimes they end differently and then it's really funky. And so anyway, <laughs> just the story of someone else you know who's been through the same thing is probably not that, not that helpful. So you can just kind of keep that to yourself. Okay. When someone is going through an illness, um, sometimes people don't even want anyone to know they're going through illness because they know everyone is going to pounce on them with the diet that they need to be on that's going to be the miracle diet or the doctor who's going to have the answer that nobody has. Be very slow. I'm not saying never do that. Be very slow. Make sure you're invited to offer that before you pounce on people. That You know, as Americans, we want to offer a fix. We want to tell them the expert that's going to fix everything, uh, the secret thing. You know, be willing to just come alongside someone's hurting and be willing to say with them, this is terrible. Yeah. Uh, this is terrible. And not have to necessarily fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then don't forget the dates that are significant to people who have gone through loss. You might even now go home, write on your calendar. When, when you know someone who loses someone they love, go to your next year calendar and write down that date so that you can remember. You're not going to remember if you just think you'll remember. Yeah. Write it down. Go ahead on your calendar. Write it down so you remember. You know, I tell you what, you know, I'm 14 years away from Hope's death <laughs> and about 11 from Gabe's yeah. death. And I have those few friends who just never forget. Wow. You know, yeah. I, on, her, on their birthdays, I'm always generally able to work up some joy of remembering their lives and the impact they had on us and so many other people. I'm so grateful. You know, those death days. <laughs> yeah. They're just hard and empty, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, I just have a few friends. They'll just send me a little email or just say, thinking about Gabe today and remembering how beautiful he was or something like yeah. that. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't have to be anything, but just lets me know. When you've lost someone, you want to know that they're not forgotten. Yeah. So do that for someone who's lost someone they love. Let them know that person is not forgotten. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to bring it up. Yeah. And if, if I can maybe can, just add a little comment on the one about if someone is sad over a loss of someone they love and it's the second year or the third year and they have a day or a moment when they're just incredibly sad, overwhelmed with sadness. Uh, one of the things I would highly suggest 
is don't ask them the question, are you seeing a consular? <laughs> okay? Because what that does to you is it makes you go, oh man, I guess they think it's wrong that I'm sad. They're trying to fix me and trying to, you know, it just, we need that permission just to be sad. It's Absolutely. okay to be sad. Yeah. Kind of a deal. Um, okay. Oh, great, Nancy. Uh, Nancy wrote a wonderful book. I uh, actually read most of it to be ready for time with Nancy this morning. It's Holding On to Hope. It's the book you wrote um, with, with hope. Yeah, with your daughter. And uh, anyway, uh, what I did was I grabbed some statements, and just in the um, minutes we have left, what time we usually finish? Is it 12.30 we finish this service? Uh, okay, I think I got five more minutes, something like that. Uh, I, different chapters, I wrote, a, uh, I, I grabbed a quote from Nancy, and I'd like her just to comment a couple okay. sentences on each one. Okay. So the first cha uh, chapter, the chapter is tears, and, and its statement is, it's only natural that people around me often ask searchingly, how are you? And for much of the first year after Hope's death, my answer was, I'm deeply and profoundly sad. I've been blessed with many people who have been willing to share my sorrow to just be sad with me. Others, however, seem to want to rush me through my sadness. They want to fix me. But I lost someone I love dearly, and I'm sad. And maybe we've said you know, enough on this, yeah. but maybe another comment on well, that? Well, I, I, I think you know. sometimes we think tears are the enemy, hmm. or we think tears uh, reflect somehow a lack of faith. Yeah. You know, sometimes people will want to say, well, your daughter or your son is in heaven, so can't you be happy? Yeah. And my response to that is, well, it's very far away from me. Yeah. I just want to hurts. talk to him if I could just call him up. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, tears don't reflect a lot of faith. In fact, I think tears are a tool hmm. that God uses to bring healing to okay. our lives. That's great. Yeah. Great chapter in that book. Uh, and by the way, everybody, we do have these up above in the lobby. And I'll mention that again before I go. There are a few left. Okay. Number, cha another chapter is on worship. And Nancy, this is from what you wrote. I hate to admit it, but for some reason, church has often been one of the hardest places to be since Hope's death. Yeah. You know, I would think about going to church, and I had two fears. One fear was that um, everybody would talk to me about Hope, <laughs> and the other fear was that nobody would talk to me about Hope. <laughs> and so you can see that the people at church really couldn't win, right? <laughs> um, but that's just the reality, and I imagine some of you have been in that same place. You know exactly what I mean. So just seeing people, it meant a lot of emotional interactions um, that were both sweet and hard to me. But I think the other part about being at church is that when, you, when you've gone through something like this, all the songs that you have sung in church your whole life, all the words sound different. And so much of the scripture you've read your whole life, it sounds different because you're just like, seeing and singing those things through a whole new lens. And I think going to church and in worship, as I would sing words of truth about who God is and what he's doing, it was like they intersected with my reality and there was some battle going on sometimes. Um, wow. Songs that well I had played. sung easily, declaring to God that I was going to trust him, that didn't cost me so much before this experience. Now it cost me something to say. I, I remember standing there and singing huh. that song, you know, we're singing, uh, I sing for joy for the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. And that just didn't cost me much before, but it did after Hope died. Yeah. yeah. 
Wow. Chapter on blame. Nancy writes, somehow Job avoided blaming God for his devastating circumstances. So how did Job do it? And more importantly, how can you and I, when we've lost so much, avoid becoming bitter, mm -hmm. blaming people? Great question. Well, we see at the end of the book of Job, if you remember this, the very last chapter, we get an insight into Job's experience. And Job says to God, uh, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And I think it's almost like he's saying in the modern vernacular, I was sitting in church every Sunday hearing about you, but this experience pushed me deeper with you. Yeah. I, ha I had to struggle with you some. Hmm. I had to yeah. figure you out a little more. And, I, and in the process, you revealed yourself to me in a way yeah. that I had never seen or understood you before. And so now I... He says, also, he says, I put my hand over my mouth. Over my mouth. I was speaking yeah. of things far too wonderful for me to know. So he had arrogantly been proclaiming who yeah. God is and what he does. And now he realizes God is far too wonderful to know. And I was talking above my head about yeah. who he is. And well put. so that was his experience. Wow. And yeah. mine too. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So much. So much. Um, wow. Yeah, I could, you could go on and on, and, uh, but thanks, Nancy. Thank you. So very much for this weekend, and uh, before, we, before we finish, I'd like to pray, and then Rob's going to come and lead us in, in worship, um, and Nancy's going to need to just exit right away because she's got to catch a plane. Mm -hmm. So, um, Well, thank you for this privilege oh, this weekend. Thank you. I'm really grateful you'd entrust this time to me. Thank you. Great job. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Nancy. Thank you for this weekend we've had with her. It's, it's been our privilege, and we're, we're so grateful. Thank you for your word that she's spoken to us, uh, the wisdom that you've given her through it, Father, through your word and, and through the experience of life with you. And we pray for Nancy and David and for Matt we ask, Father, for your grace and your strength and your wisdom in their lives. And then, Father, we pray for Nancy, each place that she speaks, that your Holy Spirit yes. will fill her. Yes, that, Father, she can have the fullness of your presence in her yes. and working through her for your glory. And in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay. All right, everybody, let's stand and let's worship.